Good morning. Uh, welcome, uh, City. Joining us on uh, video as well. Welcome to our new gaff, our new digs. This light is a proper legit church, right? And uh, we're just renting this on a Sunday morning, but welcome into this moment. We're in James, people. And uh, who was here last week for the start of James? We did, like, we did a bit of work to do a decent intro on James, but just take a little step back with me. Okay, James, half-brother of Jesus, and he, said, he describes himself as, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord meaning supreme, Jesus meaning Savior, Christ meaning set apart to save the world. And James is saying, saying, I, I am the servant. He's my brother, but I've come to a place where I've believed in Jesus Christ as Lord. And he's writing to Jewish believers scattered outside of Jerusalem. In other words, people trying to work out what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ as Lord in a culture that is leading them in an entirely different direction. And we said last week, that sounds pretty familiar for us. Like, what does it look like for us to serve Jesus Christ as Lord in a culture where, uh, that is sucking us, pulling us, leading us in an entirely different direction. And uh, another thing to note, not for City, but for East, is that we've had to swap this series around a little bit. Another little bit of, I won't go into the detail, but we've got Anna Field, lead pastor at night. She's going to be here next week doing week two of James, and I this week am doing week three. So uh, just a note for life groups, if you are looking at questions we're in uh, verse 19 to 27 of James 1. That's where we're going now. Uh, turn in your Bibles if you have a Bible. Get out your phone if you use, uh, engage with the Bible that way. We're going to put up on the screen and I'm going to read James 1, 19 to 27. James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, And slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently, looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not Do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. I lost it for a moment, don't worry. Deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we want to pay attention to it right now. We pray that by your spirit you would... You're welcome here, Lord. We pray, would you shine the spotlight on your word? Let it come to light and life. Shine the spotlight on us, Lord. And I pray that you'd edify us and encourage us and teach us and challenge us. Make us more like you today, Lord God, we pray. 
in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Was that everyone? I don't know. I don't know. I'm calling this message Pure Religion. Okay, And you would have seen at the end of that passage this uh, word religion. And it's really, really rare in Scripture. But it sort of refers to exactly the same as we would associate with religion. You know, what are the practices? What are the habits? What are the traditions of, of people who have a certain belief about God? How, how they relate to Him and, and how they operate uh, in that belief. And James brings it through and he says, this is what pure religion is. This is the sort of religion that God is after. I, had a, I want to talk to you this morning about my most religious experience. Okay, I was at uh, university. Uh, I had grown up in the church. I'd spent my teenage years running away from the church. And I go to uni and God gets a hold of my life. And I decide in my first year, I need, to go, I need to go to church. I need to go and find a church. I didn't know a single Christian in the whole city I was in. I was in halls of residence where anything goes. Anybody who's lived in halls, you know, anything goes. And I'm like, I, I need to find a church. And somebody said, Christ Church in Sheffield. Christ Church. And I'm like, right, fine. It's on Forward Road. Okay. So I get up Sunday morning. I go to the bus stop. And uh, the bus arrives, and I'm like, hey, forward road, please. And he's like, whereabouts? Well, no, no, forward road. He says, do you know how long forward road is? Evidently not. And he said, well, why don't you just give me some money and tell me when you want to get off? I'm like, cool, that sounds good. So I sit on the bus, and, uh, and this city is still really unfamiliar to me. And we're driving along, driving for ages, and we get to forward road. And I'm like, okay, here we go, like, switch on. And, and we keep going and keep going. And uh, it is a really long road. And I don't know what it was, but at one moment, it's like now. So I press the button and I jump off the bus. And I still don't really know where I am. And the bus leaves and there is this church behind. And it is a legit church. Like it looks like a church. You know, if you're looking for a church, this has got everything. It's got cemetery, it's got a spire, it's got, and inside, like the minister, the vicar got up on a, on a, you know, one of those huge platforms to do the message. He was talking about time management, like I don't really know anyway, you know, and, and I'm lost, like I've grown up in a church, but not traditional churches, and so there's liturgy, I don't know when to stand or sit, I don't know when to speak, I don't know when to pray, I don't really know what I'm doing. It had pews and everything. And, and I think if you talk to people in our culture about, you know, what is religion? I think that comes to mind. Maybe not like a proper northern England church, but we think building, we think place, we think time, we think corporate prayer and, and, and rules and regulations and all of these things. And yet in that space, I sat next to this guy from, I think he was from Nigeria. And never met him before, never seen him since, and he invites me back for lunch. I'm a student, I'm poor, I don't know a single Christian in this city. I'm trying to work out what does it look like to begin to follow Jesus out of a lifestyle that looks nothing like it. And this guy who has no idea who I am invites me back and out of his own pocket buys lunch. And we had this incredible conversation, just beautiful time. And then I left, and I've never seen him since. I never even went back to that church. I, I went to other ones. And, 
But, but in a place where you go, that is religion, right? That is what we associate with religion, where it could have been just, just stuffy and, and, and it could have been sort of liturgical and, 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 and a bit dull. I found something that I think James is talking about. I didn't find religion. I found one of God's greatest attributes, hospitality. In a place where I could have found religion, I found a pure religion. And he, I wonder, that, that guy, he probably has no idea the difference he made in my life. But I'm still talking about it 20 years later. Something so simple, but something so profound for me. And this morning I raise it because I think this is far closer to what James is talking about when he says religion. And it leaves me saying, I want to make a difference in people's lives like that. Don't you? Don't, want, don't you want to find the small, the incidental things that God would have you do that people might still be talking about 20 years later? Not in a, any way that sort of builds you up and bigs you up, but where, where, where you would go through life knowing that, that, that you've made a difference in people's lives. I want to be like that. You want to be like that, surely. And, and so we want to know, well, what is this pure religion that James is talking about? And I think the key, that the, the secret source of what he's talking about is this. It's righteousness. Go with me, verse 19, okay? It says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. See, he's talking about anger, and we can get distracted by anger, because anger is an issue for some of us. And we're like, well, that must be what this is about. But he only raises anger, not because it's the main issue, but because it's a symptom of something deeper. It's a symptom of our lack of righteousness. God is, is righteous. Everything he says, thinks, and does is Right, And often in church, when we talk about righteousness, we talk about the fact that our sin has separated us from a righteous God, that He is righteous and we are unrighteous. And when we believe in Jesus, He takes our sin onto Himself. And, and not only that, but in this wonderful exchange, He gives us as a free gift His righteousness so that we stand before God with a position of righteousness. And I think often that's where we leave it. We go, okay, that's righteousness. I have a right standing before God. But James is talking about something wider. James is talking about something beyond that. That it's no good just saying, well, I'm right with God. It doesn't matter about anything else. James is saying, I want to see that righteousness work out into every other aspect of your lives. Righteousness isn't just about the way we relate to God. It's the way we relate to one another. It's the way we see ourselves and relate to ourselves. It's the way we operate in the world around us. And I think religion leaves it there. It goes, okay, how do I relate to God? Good, tick the box. Okay, what do I need to do to please God? Okay, and now I can live my life how I want. James is like, no, righteousness that we're talking about here is, is, is a right living that works out into every aspect of our lives. See, that's why he talks about anger. Because anger isn't just a problem because it's like, oh, I broke a rule. God's got a rule about anger. Oh, rubbish. It's the fact that actually when you harbor anger in your heart, it's destructive inside. When, when, when you have this outburst to others out of anger, it's destructive to human relationship. 
So James raises anger because actually it's a problem in wider life, not just in terms of our relationship to God. It's why one of the most profound learnings in my own journey through anger and, 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 and out of anger, and you know, I realized I only really got angry with my children. One of the most profound things I learned in that journey is this, that my anger was more damaging, more dangerous than their behavior. I was learning that my anger wasn't just a thing between me and God. It was a thing to do. Where it, it was something that was destructive in the relationships around me. And so when James talks about righteousness, he's talking about right living, but not just as it relates to God, but as it relates to those around us. And he says we're to go after two things if we want to live out in this righteousness that God desires. He says, verse 21, Therefore get rid of all moral filth, and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word which is planted in you. Number one, he says, get rid of moral filth. This is sort of hidden in the Greek, but this moral filth, okay, is, is sort of a metaphor for dirty clothes, okay? Imagine where I'm, I'm like walking out of my driveway, I get to the street, and it's that terrible day in Wellington where two things collide, bin day and wind, and suddenly there's just rubbish everywhere. And I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Just roll your sleeves up. I'm going to love my neighbor and I'm going to clear up. And of course, you're like clearing up the rubbish and you end up with like eggshells on your pants and you end up with just, just horrible grime on your hands. And maybe like this would be the worst for me, sort of like moldy cat food. Like cat food, I'll eat anything, honestly. I'd try dog food, probably. But cat food has this smell. It's just so disgusting. Imagine that on your top. Oh. And then Jenny comes up the drive and she's like, Simon, we've got a parent-teacher meeting. Like, get cleaned up. I'm like, cool, cool. Do you okay? So I get in the shower, like scrub, 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 scrub. She's like, come on, come on, come on. So I scrub, scrub. And then imagine I get all clean and then I put my jersey back on. Same jersey with rotten sort of cat food on it. You'd say, she'd say, what are you playing at? You got cleaned up. What's this? Why are you putting that top back on? Why are you putting that top back on? That, that top does not fit, one, with how clean you are, and two, with where you are going. James is making two powerful statements about our lives. Number one, he's saying, God has cleaned you up. And that anger that habit is like this dirty garment. It just doesn't suit you anymore. It doesn't fit with the clean person that God has made you. It's time to take it off. It's time to leave it behind. So the first thing he's saying is you should take it off. It just doesn't suit where you're going. But he's saying something else I think really profound. Not only should you take it off, but you can take it off. You can take it off. No matter how addictive that pattern has been, no matter how ingrained in every fiber of your being, the power of the gospel in your life is that not only should you take it off, but you can take it off. My encouragement to you today, if there is, if there is this like just dirty garment that just wants to stick to you, that you're like, you've never taken off, you've dragged it with you, you've been trying to follow Jesus and it's just stuck there, I want you to appeal to God today and say, God, as a free gift of your grace, let me take it off. Let me leave it behind. It doesn't, hey, I acknowledge you've cleaned me up. 
And this is not what, this is not what you have for me. I wonder what garment it is. I wonder what dirty top it is that today for you needs leaving behind. So number one, if we want the righteousness of God in every aspect of our lives, there is this repenting. There is this taking off of what was. But then there is this humbly accepting the word. Again, he's talking to believers, and so he's not talking about salvation when he says accepting the word. He says this word is already planted in you, but you need to accept it. It's like the, the God's word in our lives enables us to know what needs taken off, what needs putting on, what needs to be stopped, what needs to be started. So there's this, the, the role of God's word in our lives in actually bringing about more and more righteousness. There are three things that I want you to see. I'm doing a lot of ones and twos and ones, twos and threes today, aren't I? Okay, we're in point two, uh, subsection A. Posture before the word is number one, a humble acceptance. There was a reason why I talked to you about board games. Our favorite in our house, I think, is Game of Life. Good old game of life. And I think the girls love this game because you have this car and you put a, a boy in it and a girl in it, you know, that sort of thing. And you get to choose. And, and there's points along the way where you get to have babies. And, and our girls, I think, love going, oh, I'm going to have three boys and I'm going to have two girls and that sort of thing. Dad, dad's smart at this game, okay? I've worked out, forget the kids, they're expensive. Booster retirement. That's my tactic. <laughs> And um, I can say it's about the game, but really it's probably what I've learned in the real game of life. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, I love you. Anyway. But you know when you sit down at a new board game and, and, you, and you look at all, you get all the pieces out and everything like that and you just go, where on earth do I start? Like how do, on earth do I play this game? And so you go to the rules and nobody ever sits there and goes, oh, stupid rules are so restrictive. We go, oh, no, actually, if I want to know how, to, how, to, how I relate to the people, uh, uh, other people playing this game, if I want to know how, how I operate within the sort of framework of this board game, then I want to understand who made that board game and what did they think about how you play this game. And so they produce like this, you know, Game of Life has a game guide. It tells you how to win. It tells you what all the pieces mean. It tells you, uh, it tells you how, how you relate to, to the people who are playing. It enables you to play well. And it's not there to restrict you. It's there to enable you to enjoy the game. And I want to suggest that the Word of God is God saying, in this game of life, I, I made this world. I made you. I know how life works best. Here's how you play. Here's who you are. Here's, here's who one another are. Here's what it means to live in this world. I know how this game is lived best. The tragedy, I think, in our culture is we've got all the pieces of the game and we have no idea what we're doing. We've gone, rules, stuff that, let's work it out for ourselves. Imagine playing a board game like that. It just wouldn't make sense. But in our day-to-day lives, I think, generally in our culture, that is what we're doing. And just like in a board game, when you play, you don't go, oh, these rules are so restrictive. We understand that those are there to help us understand how to play. And so there is this humble acceptance of the instructions. 
And I wonder for you, is your posture when you come to Scripture a humble acceptance where you say, I want to believe that the God who made this world has a right to challenge the way I live. And that maybe, just maybe, things that seem right to me and seem the best for me may not be so, where they don't come into line with the creator of the game and what he says. Is there a humble acceptance of his word? Is God allowed to challenge you? Or do we come to the Bible and we go, I I like this bit, I like this bit, this bit not so sure. This doesn't really fit. I don't like playing that way. And we dismiss it. Or do we come and do we say, I want to humbly accept that you know best God. I wonder how we're letting God challenge us. So number one, there's a humble acceptance of 2A. 2B, look intently. Go to verse 25 with me if you've got your Bibles. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, looks intently. He uses the the picture of a a mirror. James loves pictures. He's got this picture of a mirror. And, And he's saying, you know those awkward moments when you sort of catch a glimpse of yourself? Okay, and maybe, you know, not me, but maybe you realize, oh man, I've smudged some eyeliner. Again, not me. Or like, more likely me, man, there's some chocolate on my face. Now, what's the one question that comes to mind when you catch a glimpse of yourself in a mirror and that stuff is going on? How long has it been there? Who saw? (laughs) And, and, And so the thing with the mirror is it reveals something about you that you weren't aware of. And James is using the picture of a mirror in this context, saying the Word of God is like this powerful mirror. It reveals truth about yourself of which you were not aware. But James says, it's not like we just sort of casually walk past like the Fonz, like, hey, and keep going. Like, that's not what we're doing. He says, I want you to stop in in front of the mirror of God's Word, and I want you to look intently. Look intently is a really interesting phrase. Go with me. Genuinely, I believe it's interesting. It only appears five times in the New Testament. One here, three times that it is used, it refers to uh, disciples or Mary as they come upon the empty tomb. It says they looked intently. See, if you have seen the one you thought was the Son of God die on a cross and be buried in a tomb, dear friend, teacher, son of God, and you go back to that tomb and you see the stone is rolled away and it is empty, you're not just going to stroll past empty tombs, seen one of those before. You're not going to even go, hey, you have a look for me, just tell me what it's like. You're not going to do that, right? You're going to go up to the tomb, you're going to stop, you're going to stoop down, you're going to stare in wide-eyed amazement. It's going to lead to more questions than answers. But you're not going to walk on by. You're not going to be casual. And I think it's really interesting that James uses this word when he says, that is how I want you to be looking at Scripture. I want you to stop. I want you to stoop. I want you to stare in wide-eyed amazement. I want you to look intently. I wonder how you're engaging with Scripture today. I wonder what reading Scripture looks like in your life. Are you leaving it to somebody else? You you have a look for me. I'm all good. 
Is it a passing glance? You know, one of the things I found is I tried to read the Bible on my phone last year. And some of you, this works for, I'm all good with that. But for me, I just found I was too casual. I was just flipping through it, flipping through it, flipping through it, getting through my reading for the day. And I went back for, to good old paper. I just interact with it way better. But in, in saying how you're interacting with Scripture, I want to give you a couple of pointers right now of what it looks like to look intently. I'm not asking you how much you're reading. I'm not asking you when you're reading, like, oh, the morning's the best time of the day. That's the most spiritual. No, I'm not saying that. Every season of life is different. Every, every person is different. Late at night might work for you. Your lunch break might work for you. That precious moment when a child just goes to sleep. Ah, here's my moment. That might be you. Maybe it's early in the morning. For me, it's early in the morning. But what I want you to do is not think about how much you're reading. I want you to think about, are you looking intently? Are you stopping and staring in wide-eyed amazement? There's a couple of ways I've found that I think are helpful here, okay? One is to um, maybe take a, like a book like, if you're not really doing anything right now or what you're doing is you're struggling with, take a book like James. Super accessible, pretty simple, like down to earth, roll up your sleeves, practical, okay? And just read a paragraph. And just so when you come to a moment of quiet, okay, sit. Pray, God, thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak to me. I, invite, I want to humbly accept your word. Speak to me. And then read a paragraph. And then reread it. And then reread it. And then reread it. And chew it over and ponder it. Oh, okay, quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to become angry. Wow, there's a contrast there. Huh. Man, maybe I'm quick to speak. And slow to listen. You know, you chew it over, you chew it over, and then maybe get a journal. What am I reading? What am I observing? What questions do I have? And, and then maybe write a prayer. God, I, I see something that needs to change here. Help me with that. You see, you've stopped. You haven't gone, oh, I read the whole book of James today. You said, I've looked intently at a portion. So maybe that's going to be something you take away from here. The second thing, and I remembered last night that I've really got bad at this, and that's memorizing Scripture. But it's been so profound for me in the past, memorizing Scripture. And I'm not talking about like real, like big discipline, like I've got to remember this. I'm talking about take a portion of Scripture and read it every single day. Put it somewhere where you're going to find it. Could be on the bathroom mirror. Could be, for me, if I want to read something early in the morning and I want to guarantee I'm going to find it, stick it on the kettle the jug in Kiwi. Okay, stick it there because that is the first place I go every single morning. Put the jug on. So if I want to read something every day, just put it there. And here's why I think that is so, memorizing stuff is so important because here's what happens. When you read it and you read it and you read it and you read it and you read it, it gets in your head. You just learn it automatically. But as it's in your head, it just begins to turn over. It just begins to sort of be digested. It just begins to, you know, things move around and suddenly you'll be in the shower, you'll be out for a walk, you'll be on the bus, you'll just be minding your own business and God will just go, this is what I want you to see. Izzy in her baptism last week in her testimony talked about how we had a discipline, Jenny and I, when, whenever she was pregnant, we would pick a psalm and we would read that to them every single day while they were in the womb. And then it became a really good thing during bath time, like while Gracie is splashing around in the bath, I'd just read her psalm to her, read her psalm to her. And then I realized I knew that by heart and so I'd, I'd read other ones. I'd just read heaps of psalms to her while she was in the bath. 
And here's what happens. Jess has her own. It's Psalm 103. And, and, and you'll have heard me preach this sometimes, but I just want you to show what happens. You just read it and read it and read it and read it. And then all of a sudden, something drops into your heart. And I realize, Jess's psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. One day I realized, wow, God... You've put my sin so far in the east. You've put me so far in the west that you cannot look at both things at the same time. There's some profound truth that came, not because I sat down and studied and studied and studied, but because I just read that psalm day after day after day until the Spirit of God goes, and here's what I want you to see today. Here's something I want you to see that's going to change your life today. And so whether you take, you develop a consistent habit of reading portions of Scripture and sitting with it long enough to go in, or whether you develop a discipline of memorizing a portion of Scripture, either way, when you drop truth into your soul like that, it is going to make a difference. And where there are misbeliefs and patterns that you're living in that come out of misbeliefs that you have, the truth of God is able to go to work in that arena are you looking intently final thing that James wants you to see we humbly accept we look intently and we put it into practice how ridiculous would it be to go past a mirror and realize you've got chocolate on your face and go wow chocolate on my face cool it just wouldn't make sense like imagine if you, if you get to work and you're like, hey, bro, you've got like chocolate on your face. Did you know? Yeah, I saw that in the mirror before I left the house. Yeah. And you went on the bus like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, you came up there, you got a coffee like that. Oh, cool. You didn't do anything about it. Why not? Like, it's absurd. And yet how often do we come to Scripture and we go, cool, nice piece of knowledge. And we do nothing about it. We do nothing about it. So what does it look like for us to actually do something about what we are reading, what we're learning, what we're engaging with? There are a couple of things that have helped me here. One is a journal. And um, we've actually got a stash at church that were purchased years ago and never really got used. If you, want, if, you know, if you want one of those, I'm happy to give you one, okay? But a journal is just a place where I go, uh, here's what I'm reading. Here's what I notice. Okay, God, how would that work out in my life. Here's an application, here's a prayer. Some people use the acronym SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. And I find the discipline of writing helps it crystallize for me. Some of you want to draw in a journal. You know, that helps you process. Go there. But a journal is one of the ways that has helped me. The other way that's helped me, community. See, I can go out with the best intention in the world and be like, I'm so going to apply this to every aspect of my life. I'm going to be so different. You're not going to recognize me next week. And it lasts like a day. Barely. And it hasn't been applied. It hasn't actually been able to transform. It's like, it's like reading the rules of a game and then, and then just playing how you want. It just doesn't work. And one of the things that's really helped me is community. You know, I have a small group of guys that I catch up with. I need, you need to know this. I have pe- men in my life who can ask me absolutely anything. And I've asked them to ask me, what is the question you don't want me to ask right now? 
because I'm committed to walking in purity. I'm committed to, to leading you authentically. And they help me on the application side. Because I'll be challenged one day, or they're challenged, and they're like, I think God's challenged me. And this was a couple of weeks ago. I think God's challenged me on prayer. That there's just something that needs to change there for me. Something that needs to go deeper. Now, I can go out with every intention in the world, but actually half a week later, I'm like, oh yeah, I was going to do something about that. But knowing I'm going to catch up with them, knowing that they're going to ask me what's going on. Hey, Simon, you talked about prayer. How's that going? Knowing that's going to happen challenges me and helps me to actually put it into practice. You can be like, oh, is that real? Is that genuine? Is that authentic? Well, I think God designed this journey to be done in community, right? That actually, I don't have all that I need to do this journey of following Jesus well. But in community, I actually find the brothers who are going to walk alongside me and help me do that journey well. Are you in community? And engaging in Scripture well enough in that community to see what God's challenging on and then say, hey, would you help me? Would you check in on me? God, I know God wants to change it. And I'm asking him, I'm asking him, but I also, I really believe that God has placed you in my life to help me. Shall we walk this together? So we want to humbly accept. We want to look intently and we want to put it into practice. I don't have a timer this morning. Who knows how long I've been going for. But where James goes now, verse 26, we're going to close with this. Verse 26, verse 27, okay? We've been talking about the how. How do you work righteousness out into every area of life? We've said we're getting rid of moral filth, those old dirty clothes that don't suit you anymore, and we're humbly accepting and we're looking intently and we are applying what God is revealing to us in His Word. It's the how. And James then goes on and says the what. And he talks about the tongue. And he talks about how worthless religion is where we have not restrained our tongue. Our tongue just goes wherever it wants. It says whatever it wants to whoever and it doesn't care. And he says, we've got to restrain that. But I'm not going to talk about that so much this morning because we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to do that in a couple of weeks. And, and, and then he goes on and he talks about looking after the, the widows and orphans in their distress. And, and you have to understand throughout the whole of Scripture, God is saying, you cannot say that you love me if you do not love those around you. What you believe about me has to work out in how you relate to one another. I care about how you treat the poor. I care about how you treat the distressed and the oppressed. I care about that. But we're going to come to that in a couple of weeks. The thing that the one what I want us to look at as we close, is this. He closes in this way. He says, and to keep oneself, this is what pure religion is. Looking after widows and orphans, restraining the tongue. It's righteousness worked out. And he says, finally, and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. Remember, he's writing to believers scattered into cultures that look nothing like the faith that they've come to believe. He's saying, in that culture where it's dragging you in an opposite direction, how do you serve God in that context? And he says, you need, to, you need to be careful about what is coming in. You see, James is like, James understands what Jesus preached. And remember I said last week, he was an eyewitness of what Jesus taught. James understood what Jesus understood. That to start with your words and start with your hands is to start with the, the fruit you need to go to the root. And what's the root? Your heart. What you say is coming out of your heart. What you do is coming out of your heart. So pay attention to what is going in. And we've talked about the word and, and how important that is to sow in. But I wonder in our culture what you are tolerating going in.
and understanding that some of the things you're listening to, some of the things you're watching, some of the conversations you're a part of are not helping you follow Jesus more closely. They are polluting your heart. And you cannot expect the right words and the right actions to come out of your life if you're allowing pollution to go in. Garbage in, garbage out. I said garbage for the Americans in the room. Garbage in, garbage out. So what I want to do right now as we close, I want to do this. I'm going to put up a verse, or two verses on the screen. And I want to demonstrate to you what this looks like. Here's what I'm wanting to invite you into this week, this discipline. And if you're struggling to read it, I can read it. But I want you to read this three, four, five times. Just quietly. And let God begin to speak to you. Because it speaks to this issue. It's the NLT translation, Psalm 112. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or sit in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditate on it day and night. God, we thank you for your word. I pray that you'd speak right now. Just read it.